from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here for the end of season edition of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here with Daryl Slater. The Giants season ended. Um, a lot a lot happened <laughs> since the end of the Giants game until now, I would say. Um, the Giants beat the Cowboys. Uh, I didn't think they would win that game. You didn't either, and I, I don't. I think we had we're right in thinking that the Cowboys just are clearly just not a well coached team. I think they have more talent, but the, we don't need to dwell on that game because it's the end of the season. But so everything that happened after that was they so they went into that Sunday night game as you guys know, uh, with needing Washington to lose, and then the Eagles had the whole tanking thing where they benched Jalen Hurts late in the fourth quarter, and then everybody. Uh, in New York and New Jersey, fan base wise, um, and some media, and some Giants players, and Joe Judge, like just took it as like a you know crime against humanity. Um, I think we both are on the same page here. Uh, we we can we don't need to talk about this for too long because I think this whole topic is so overblown anyway. But like, what what would you make of that whole situation and the reaction? Yeah, I mean, overblown and obviously like been people have been over it a million times in terms of opinions yeah. on it, but. Yeah, look, I mean, the Eagles can do whatever they want to do in the game. It's not like they, you know, intentionally through the game, they were trying to not get their potential, their likely starter for next year hurt. They wanted to get a look at him, but they didn't want, I mean, I can understand Eagles players being upset by that too. I mean, that should have been more clearly communicated to them. I mean, you can't expect them to to check uh, Mike Garofalo's Twitter after the Eagles leaked (laughs) it to him before the game that they were going to play Nate, Nate Sudfeld. So yeah, like, look, I can understand why, Giants fans would be upset, but the bottom line is what everyone has said here. You know, you won six games. You can't feel entitled to win the division with six games. No team has ever made the playoffs of six and ten. I mean, all the whole thing. Like, um, like I think it was bad optics for, quite frankly, for Joe Judge to get on his high horse. But on the other hand, here and he and he did. But on the other hand, he scored a lot of points probably with his own team. I think he definitely did because players were mad about that. So if he just got up there and shrugged it off, not a good look. I mean, his job isn't to make us happy. It's not to to make you know people outside the fan base happy. It's to it's to coach the team and lead the team. So I think from that perspective, maybe he scored a lot of points with his team. What he said, look, I mean, it's very short sighted. I mean, this this sort of thing happens in week seventeen all the time. So where do you draw the line for what's what's tanking? What's um, what's not trying hard? I mean, the Steelers didn't pay, play Ben Roethlisberger in that game, and I know they they were resting him for the playoffs, obviously. But but where do you draw the line for what's objectionable and the unwritten rules? Yeah. Okay, so if they're unwritten rules, put make a rule. You know, if, you, if you're so <laughs> up and, and and here's here's what it boils down to: the NFL has a system in its draft that incentivizes tanking. They do, do not have a draft lottery. So if 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 you don't like that, then then lobby for a draft lottery in the NFL. But until that happens, there's going to be some degree of tanking that occurs. And it, and then coaches will never talk about it, of course. But um, was that part of it? I, I'm sure Doug Peterson was not heartbroken to get a higher draft pick. Also, he wanted to keep his quarterback healthy. It was clumsily handled. No doubt about it. Um, but look, I think Giants fans don't really have a you know, leg to stand on here. What, why should they expect the Eagles to do anything to try to help them win the division? I mean, the, the notion that they were going to keep Jalen Hurts out there behind an offensive line of backups. And I think you brought this up too, that they didn't just have, it wasn't just one guy that they didn't play in the game in terms of a, a starter or pulled from the game, right? Yeah, um, it was like third string guys so, were out so, there. So why risk Jalen Hurts in that situation? You need to get a look at the guy 
but it's like a preseason game, right? If this was the yep. case, like why play, why ever play any starter in a preseason game, right? I mean, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Adam Gase was ripped for playing Avery Williamson with the backups. You know, he was Avery Williamson, okay? He's a middle linebacker who now plays for the Steelers with, with the backups um, in Atlanta in a preseason game. And he, hurt, he got hurt, he blew out his knee, torn ACL season over. Right. Gates took the blame for it. It was he got ripped. Right. So get the guy out of the game. When there's nothing at stake, get the guy out of the game. I think that's my my yeah. take on it. I think that the only thing that I think Joe Judge. You know, if you look at it objectively, right, like he objectively was on his high horse and not taking a look at the totality of the situation from an objective standpoint, because why would he? Right. But I think that he did score probably a lot of points with his players. So we'll see what that yeah, means that, going forward. And we'll see, we'll see what it means going forward for, for Doug Peterson and Philly, considering how his players are reacting to that. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I, I think the Joe judge point was the one I was going to make is um, whether he intended, I mean, I mean, Joe judge is pretty calculated. So I'm sure he knew that question was coming. Um, I, I think he played it pretty smart, whether he actually believes all those things he said, which was a lot of like football guy stuff. Yeah. You know, it was smart because, the, his players are going to love hearing that, and his, the fan base is obviously going to love it just based on the way they reacted. Like he he played into what everybody wanted him to say, while also like having his players kind of take the high road, which was like they they all had the same message, which was like we had sixteen chances and we didn't capitalize on them. And then Joe Judge started off saying that, and then like something clicked in his head, like if you just watch it, and he just started like go like not directly saying Eagles or Doug Peterson, and also like like saying the integrity of the game and we all sacrificed so much blah 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 and it, it just it was it was a smart move in the sense of like just getting your locker room to to back you but I mean, at it was, the end of the day BS. what he said was bs but he took he, but but he was the guy who took the heat like the, you said yeah. he let he let the players say the politically correct things and he took the heat i th- i think that's interesting i mean whether yeah. it's the more than six wins next year we'll see but um i think that th- <laughs> that was an interesting move and like you said it was obviously calculated obviously yeah um and and we we can use that to spin into the like just to looking ahead because th- this kind of like just goes back to the fact that they were only six and ten. This is a giant team that hasn't made the playoffs in eight of the last nine years. They haven't won a playoff game um, since they won the Super Bowl, um, and so they're six and ten. They should have made the playoffs in a historically bad division. But the reason why they didn't, uh, which you and I have said all year, is that they didn't have the roster to do it. They had the coaching and they had some pieces on defense, but they didn't have the offense. They didn't have the offensive line. They didn't have the pass rush. Um, and that goes to Dave Gettleman, who, as it turns out, you know, we talked about whether he was on the hot seat all year. John Mara gave us the impression that he was never really on the hot seat. Um, he said he didn't even consider fire. I mean, he said when they were one and seven, he wasn't feeling great. But when John Mara spoke to us on Wednesday, uh, he was like, you know, like almost like offended that somebody asked why they didn't re- like say, announce that Dave Gettleman was coming back as if like, why would I think about that? And this is, a, I mean, this kind of plays into what we've talked about a year. We're probably going to hit a lot of the same talking points, but it, it was kind of jarring to me because, like, you, so you had a conversation with John Mara almost a, a little over, less than a year ago at this point, I guess. Um, because it was after Joe Judge was hired, I believe, right? It was, uh, yeah, so it was after, yeah. It was after Judge. So, I mean, you had a conversation about just like the, where the franchise was and how he took a lot of responsibility for it. Um, you know, he's had press conferences at the end of eight and eight seasons where he, he came out there angry at how bad they were at the end of the year. You know, that was when they had Tom Coughlin and Jerry Reese. He was angry about how they weren't competing for the playoffs. And then these last, like, three years, as they keep losing, he, he keeps preaching patience to the fans. 
and then he goes and he, he brings back the GM that put them in this position. I mean, I, I get the whole Dave Gettleman inherited a bad situation or whatever, but he also didn't make it any better by all the moves he made in 2018 and a lot of them in 2019. Um, they're admitting mistakes in 2018 now, but I don't really know how what how much that does because you know one one of the I don't know it just seems like Dave has made a lot. Certainly, he had a better off season uh, this last year, but it just like blew my mind that like John Mara like like flippantly played it off like no nah, I, I wouldn't. I wasn't even thinking about that. Like, why well, I, I mean, that's me? probably BS too. Like, it probably you, is for sure. So I mean, but I, I think the thing I do believe is that he very passionately loves Joe Judge, and he thinks that those two work together. Sure. So I imagine if, if Joe Judge said, "I I like working with Dave," then I'm sure that's all John uh, needed to hear. But you know, Dave Gettleman, he has to show it again. Like they keep doing the. They, it was a lot of the same quotes from John Mayer as last year. He wants to see more wins. He's tired of you know at the end of the year saying we'll get it next year. Well, if they go out and they don't, if Dave Gettleman doesn't make the moves they need to make and they don't win six games again, like John Mayer is going to be roasted as much as he maybe ever has, but it doesn't matter, I guess, to him. He's a billionaire. Um, but no, I think it, it matters. I think yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I think he takes it. I look, I, I think, I think it does. I think he, I think he takes it personally because it, you know, this is his family's team. It means a lot to him. And, and, and I understand, you know, he's a wealthy man, but like they're, the, the family's wealth is tied up in the giants. He's not David Tepper. This, the, you know, John Mayer is very rich. Obviously, the value of his of his wealth is entirely tied up in the Giants, right? So he doesn't, you know. Look, I, I mean, he's he's like I said, he's he's super he's super rich. So I'm not trying to downplay that, but uh, he he really does obviously care about the Giants and and all these NFL owners do. But I think he does take it personally. Um, and you've seen him get mad, like right the gift where he threw the chair. Um, in, yeah. in a couple of years ago in the, in the luxury suite. And that was one thing Steve Politi brought up and uh, in his column that was really good about this is John Mayer used to get mad about this sort of thing. Um, and I, and maybe he does still internally, but he didn't really show it by what he did with keeping Dave Gettleman. I mean, what happened to learning from the mistakes of the lack of decisiveness that he showed with Eli Manning, with Tom Coughlin, with Jerry Reese, keeping those guys around for too long? And those guys actually did something for the Giants. They won Super Bowls. Dave Gettleman has done nothing, nothing. And so I think that's where I, you know, I fall on it. And I, the track record is has some recent positives, yes. But the notion that like the arrival of a new coach could wipe away all the failures that Dave Gettleman had yeah. is is asinine. Like, I mean, he hired he hired Pat Shermer also. Like, so right. And so, I think that yeah, probably John Mara is fibbing when he said he didn't consider letting Dave Gettleman go. At you know, like he probably looked at it at one and seven and thought, okay, if we finish one and fifteen, the guy's gone. I'm sure he yeah. had that in his head. Surely. Um, so I think there's that yeah there is this passion in John Mara but there's also this enormous amount of loyalty to uh and sense of um that stability matters right I think he looks at it and you don't have to look far across town and see the problems that the Jets have had with instability and other organizations and usually instability does not translate to success uh you look at the Texans right now are a disaster so I think I think that's fair, and I think what you know that rationale is fair. But I think it, you know, you have to balance that with decisiveness. And if he learned anything from Tom Coughlin, from Jerry Reese, from Eli Manning, and hanging out to those guys too long, um, it's that you know it's better to make a, a a move a year too early than than too late. Um, and and I, 
I think if the Giants are terrible next year, then Dave Gettleman's gone. I just, I obviously it's a huge offseason for him <laughs> to, to to salvage this thing because they don't appear super close, right? They don't appear close to a Super Bowl, which is what Mara wanted, but they're close to winning the NFC East, certainly. So, well, um, that yeah, and I, mean, I, I just don't. I mean, they're six and ten. I mean, how close are they to yeah. ten and six? They're not. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. I mean that. I mean that that's the thing. This offseason is going to be extremely important because they have such like clearly defined needs. Um, and if Gettleman fails to fill them, they're going to not succeed. And you know, and, and it kind of goes back to kind of the topic that was going into the season. We thought. If Daniel Jones didn't show that he's the guy, then maybe that's all it needed. But the Giants, I guess, saw enough that they think he deserves at least one more year with Daniel Jones as well. So kind of both of their futures are going to be tied together next year. I think Joe Judge, unless they're like a complete disaster next year, Joe Judge would probably be fine after two years. I guess you could say another GM or whatever, but that's like far down the line. But that's like, I mean, if if Dave Gettleman has an offseason like he did in 2020, then you feel better about it. And you know, I, I, there are Giants fans who want Dave Gettleman out, but the reality is, if you want this team to get back to the playoffs, you want to you want Dave Gettleman to succeed. So um, he's gonna have to do some things this offseason that he hasn't done in his three years, and one of them is finding weapons, which is something he, you know, he, he said in the press conference. He's like, "I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. We need, uh, I forget, weapons or pass catchers or whatever. Yeah. Playmakers, yeah, he said playmakers." Um, well, then why didn't you get that when you said that last year? He didn't add any receivers last and year. And last year, you um, said it time and again here in this forum. Last year was the prime chance to do it in that draft. Yeah, that, and he's going to have prime opportunity again this year. This free agency class is deep. Uh, the draft class from people I've talked to it's is a good draft class. They're in a good spot at 11 if they wanted to draft one. Um, I know some people think you shouldn't draft receivers that early, but if this team needs it bad enough, then I would. And then the other thing he hasn't done is get pass rushers in the building. Um, and I, and if anything, he sent them out when you look at JPP and Olivier Vernon. Um, and like, those are the two, like just obvious biggest needs this team has. And if he doesn't fix those, um, and they have enough money that can, they can go and get a guy or two on both of them. Like they can clear out enough cap that they can do that or they can draft a guy, but he, he needs to get those right. Cause if they don't, they're going to be a middling six win, seven win max team next year. And that's not enough. And John Mayer can keep making excuses every year, but at a certain point you got to actually win. Yep. I mean, you need to show results, and this was supposed to be the year to do it. I mean, he said, plain and simple, I need to see progress. I'm not going to be as patient with Dave Gettleman as I was in 2018, 2019. And one thing, you know, Mara mentioned was Gettleman having cancer his first year, and they wanted to give him a chance to have two full years of being at full physical strength in 19 and 20. And uh, obviously, you know, having to go through cancer treatments and being an NFL GM is an insanely difficult thing to balance. Um, so that was totally understandable why they brought him back for 2020, even though some of us look at it from the outside and said, you know, should have been let go with Pat Shermer, clean slate, new GM, new coach. Um, I don't, I don't get the rationale this time around. I don't get it. The progress has not been good enough. They beat one good team this year. Um, they can spin all they want. I mean, they've beaten three teams with winning records, three teams with winning records in his entire tenure, Dave Gettleman's entire tenure, Crazy. two in 2018 and one uh, in 2020, the Seahawks. And um, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like I, obviously Mara's going to go on there and feign, um, you know, like, Oh, you know, gambling in this establishment type thing uh, with the, Oh, I never considered firing him. Uh, I'm sure he did. Like I said, I'm sure he did look at it at a one and seven and say, if this doesn't, doesn't get better and it got better, but I don't think it got better. It, it, I don't think it was enough. Right. I think if they lose, maybe if they lose this game, that that game to Dallas, maybe he's gone. And Merrill never say that, but um, I, 
the problem with the Giants is is they too much of what they do in terms of operating is is so hinged to the familiar. It, it feels like they're just yeah. too afraid to think. That would this has been a knock. I mean, this is not me. You know, the first person saying this has been a knock on them for a while. Too afraid to think outside the box. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about analytics, but like go bring in some different voices. Um, the voices in that John Mara hears are the, the same old people. And I challenged him on this when I talked to him last last year. Like, do, don't you think you need to, um, you know, hear hear from some new voices? And his retort was, "Look, we've and we've won here." with these same people being my loyal kind of um, consultants. And I, Hey, that's hard to argue with. They've won a couple Super Bowls, right? So, yeah. but where do you draw the line and say that approach is no longer working? Um, I think it's an interesting thing because it's not like they've been bad for 20 years. Right. But uh, I, I, they've been, they've been bad for 10. <laughs> they, they've been bad. Yeah. I mean, they've been bad since they won the Super Bowl, except for the one year. Um, and they've been really bad these last three years. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a way that Dave Gettleman even has the resources to get this thing over the hump back to nine and seven, back to 10 and six from six and 10 in one year. I don't see how he, I don't see how he can do it unless he hits on every single decision that he makes. I mean, a lot of it ultimately comes down to Daniel Jones, to be honest. If he's not, if he's as, if he as is, was he, what he was his first two years and they won't get there. And if he, if he's better then they will, like that's kind of the reality. I mean, and, and look, as long look, as I mean, Jason Garrett being gone, if he leaves, if you know, there sounds like they're not firing him. Uh, and it's like, I mean, look, I mean, yeah, the we'll, charges, we'll that, yeah. the charges would be insane to hire this guy, but um, <laughs> it sounds like he's going to be back, but like, say they got rid of him, right. Bring in a, a new offensive coordinator. If Daniel Jones is bad, he's bad. Uh, sorry, but changing offensive coordinators is not going to make this guy great all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, you can only paper over so much. Look at Sean McVay with Jared Goff, right? Yeah. But Turns out Jared Goff out. actually yeah. is not that good. And, you know, McVay made him look pretty good, but you can only paper over that stuff for so long. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that kind of that kind of ties back to, I think, one of the main reasons for pessimism like there are reasons for optimism but the reality is and i asked john mayer about this um they were 31st in scoring and 31st in yardage and they went six and ten which kind of tells you everything you needed like they the fact that they got six wins at that stage just shows you how good of a job patrick graham did on defense um because there's no world where you score 17 points a game where you should be even winning six games the, no. the jets were right behind them and they as you know won two games so um, the fact that they're that far behind of the curve in the offense, you know, John Mara used some excuses about, you know, it's an offensive line full of new players and they didn't have training camp and preseason. They're not the only team with a new coach, new offense, no preseason. A lot of teams had that situation and none of them finished 31st. Only the Giants did. And you're not going to, the reality is the best teams in the NFL score a lot of points. And I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you had like the rankings of scoring or yardage, I would imagine that the top half of the league is almost all of the playoff teams. So um, if Gettleman doesn't fix that, and if Jones doesn't get better, then, I mean, this team's not going anywhere. And the, and the fact that he hasn't been able to build – I mean, they, they've used uh, premium draft picks all three years on offensive players, and they probably will again this year if they draft a receiver. So in that scenario, you have a running back, you have a QB, you have an offensive lineman, and you have a receiver drafted in the first round. If they don't get over the hump at that point, then that's entirely on Gettleman and then – by by virtue on uh, John Mara as well. I'll give you the PFF top offensive teams to your point here: uh, Packers, Titans, Bills, Browns, Bucks, 
Chiefs. <laughs> Those are the top six. Vikings. Did, me, yeah. Vikings seven and nine didn't make the playoffs. Eight was Seattle. Nine was Houston on the strength of Deshaun Watson. Ten was the Colts. Then the Saints. So th- there's your so top. What two, what two nine playoff teams in there out of the out of ten? Uh, yes, Houston and yeah. and Seattle out of eleven. So That's nine of the top right there, yeah. nine of the top eleven, and then Raiders, Rams. So Rams in the playoffs, Raiders not. So yeah, basically the top half of the offensive teams in the rankings all made the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the the worst team, not counting Washington in these offensive ratings, to make the playoffs this year, that would be. Um, Baltimore at 16 in the offensive rating. So the bottom line is, you know, setting aside Washington, if you're not in the top half of the league in the, you know, PFF's offensive ratings, which takes into account all of it, it's not just yards and points, and um, you probably have no shot. And the Giants were 26. Yeah. Um, I mean, that again, like I, I understand they lost Saquon Barkley, but that doesn't – change it i mean it's gonna be nice to have him back certainly um and even just, like, looking ahead to this offseason like i said like this receiver class and free agency i think i've never seen anything like it because usually receivers don't get to free agency to this degree but you know there's at the top end you have guys like alan robinson kenny galladay uh chris godwin juju smith suster and you have guys like Corey davis and nelson aguilar and will fuller and curtis samuel like there's just so many dynamic guys that get open and are all better than who the giants have and, the, you know, like I said, you know, I think as of now, after the Logan Ryan contract, they're at like $10 million projected for a cap next year. Um, you, can, you can you clear out $6 million by getting rid of Tate. You can get rid of another six if you cut Solder. You can clear out a two or three here and there if you get a couple middling veterans. If you get rid of Zeitler, it's another $12 million. If you extend Jabril Peppers, you can reduce it. Like there, there's ways for them to get around the cap, um, especially if it winds up being above the 175, which everyone's projecting right now, but it's not official. So, like, they, they're going to have no excuse. And, you know, they, they keep – it seems like they're really happy with the guys they have in this roster. It seems like I'd be surprised if Evan Ingram was gone, even though he had a pretty bad year, Pro Bowl or not. Jason Garrett, I, you and I both are very crit- critical of him. And the fact that they're Dave, – Dave Gettleman not only didn't say that they were going to fire him, he said he's getting antsy about losing him to a head coaching job, um, which a lot of Giants fans weren't happy with. Um, so, yeah, him coming back. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure. Yeah. And then you have, you know, Daniel Jones, you're not sure about, um, you know, these receivers, Slayton and Shepard are fine if they're your third receiver or whatever, but so they're going to need two receivers probably to, to get out of them. And the offensive line has still has some holes on it. Um, I think maybe you feel a little better about Andrew Thomas and Nick Gates at the end than you did at the beginning, but the rest of the offensive line is a question mark. You know, you don't know if Shane Lemieux is any good. Will Hernandez, they clearly don't think highly of. He was benched. He didn't even play the last week. Uh, Cam Fleming's a free agent. Matt Pert, still a question mark. So, you could, have, if you get rid of Zeitler, you could, in theory, you know, depending on how they feel about these guys, need to fill left guard, right guard, right tackle. So, um, and I, I don't imagine they'll have to fill all of those because I think they probably like Pert and they probably like Lemieux. But I mean, you didn't that, even that's get a lot. Because they don't have a number two cornerback. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's I'm saying, like, just offense. That, I mean, you, like a lot of their resources are going to have to go into the offense, and tons. I think my my first priority would be to to fix in the offense, like the defense, even with maybe less talent in some spots was good enough last year. Like you can they win can with the by. defense they have last they can year. Get by, yeah. But you can't get by with the offense. So I, I think you invest in receivers, you get a better backup quarterback, I think is important. You get, you know, if Wayne Gallman leaves, you get a pass catcher out of the backfield, get another weapon for Jones, get some veteran offensive linemen. 
and you get, get an edge rusher should be high on the priority list. But I, I, I would I would say they need to hit offense pretty hard, whether it's the draft or the free agency. And then number two corner obviously is important, like you said. Um, maybe a linebacker next to Blake Martinez. Uh, if they lose Leonard Williams and or Dalvin Tomlinson, they'll probably need a draft a defensive lineman for depth at least. Like they they do have a lot of holes, but it they need to fix the offense. And if, if Jason Garrett's your offensive coordinator, fine. But you at least need to give him more weapons and, and whatever else. And that's the defense for Garrett. I think, look, I'm, we're hard on him, and I think rightfully so. And a lot of that's based on people we talked to for a story we did about why this offense is so bad in terms of the build, the problems with the build, and the problems with the strategy. And um, I think a lot of the focus of what people we talked to said was um, – you know, the, the, the less obvious stuff, right? Because it's obvious they don't have talent. So, you know, the folks we talked to earlier in the year spoke about the problems with Garrett's scheming and that sort of thing. But the obvious thing is they don't have talent, right? So do you, I don't know if you give Garrett a mulligan there, but it's certainly a mitigating factor. Um, yeah, yeah, he didn't throw the ball down the field. Well, you know, he doesn't have offensive linemen who can protect his quarterback and doesn't really have a legit deep threat beyond you know, Darius Slayton, who may not be anything more than a complimentary receiver, which is fine, right? Because he was a fifth round pick. But uh, I would be interested to see. I think it'll be an, a, one of the more interesting storylines in the NFL next year. Jason Garrett, you know, obviously, I would not think he gets a head coaching job this year, this offseason. So I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. I think I, there's, I can definitely see owners who would convince themselves that he, I mean, you, you have people could, carrying water yeah. in, in the national media for him because. I mean, I mean, to his credit, he only had like one losing season in his entire time with the Cowboys. They also underachieved almost every year. But I mean, they, that's better than I mean, whoever's coached the Giants the last three years, four years. So um, in that sense, like I get it. But at the same time, like he showed this year that he's not someone who should be running the show, I think. so. Right. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think but. If he has a big year next year with this offense, maybe he can, he can climb back into the head coaching ranks. I think, like you said, there are all, there are owners who love the familiar, who are too afraid to think outside of the box, who are very conservative, who would probably hire him next offseason if he has a productive year in 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 uh, 2021. So it, it's a really interesting thing. Like if they give him these weapons. Um, then he has no excuses. He's yeah. probably the most, you know, in terms of offensive coordinators who aren't the head coach, He's got to be the most high-profile guy in the NFL who's an offensive coordinator, right? I mean, in terms of, like, play callers. Um, I mean, obviously, all these guys you're hearing about now are in the hiring cycle, but you're talking about, you know, former head coach uh, with a division rival. um, And so I think it's a a fascinating storyline for him, and he's really at a crossroads in his career to prove that, like, okay, he can actually do this. Um, Or it just peters out, you know? I think that's where he's at. you know, I don't. I think if it goes poorly for him again next year, then then maybe it just peters out for him, and and he doesn't ever get another shot. Um, but again, the NFL loves retread. <laughs> I mean, Marvin yeah. Lewis is getting interviews. Um, Mike McCarthy got another job. So um, the Jets are really spreading their web out wide on that. On that maybe stage. I'm just giving uh, the 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 league, as some people say, too much credit. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's interesting because then you you do have you look at the other side of the ball, um, and we've talked about Patrick Graham so much on here in a positive way, which is you know I, people call us negative. I think we've been positive about Patrick Graham all year because he's done an amazing job, but um, he's like on the opposite trajectory of Garrett, whereas Garrett is maybe on the downswing or you know 
treading even uh, from where he was last year. Like Patrick Graham is so clearly on the rise that the Jets interviewed him for head coaching job. I had a feeling he'd get at least an interview. Uh, the, the Giants didn't even let it get to that point because they, they gave him an extension, which I didn't see coming, but it makes a lot of sense because he was their MVP of, if we were doing awards right now, he was their MVP of 2020. No doubt. So um, I am curious to see like how it plays out with him too because if you, if you actually get him some talent, especially pass rushers, because if you look at the stats, they had 40 sacks for the year, which is about the middle of the league, like above average, but only you know, their edge rushers gave them almost none of that. Four sacks came from Kyler Fackrell, one and a half came from Jabal Sheard, and then like a mixed sack here or two from the other guys. Like they only get that from your edge rushers. It shows you how dominant Leonard Williams was, and it shows you how creative he was able to get, um, like to work around it and blitz random guys and and you know if 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 you want to have a reason to think that this team can get back to winning, it's because the defense is there. It has the coach. It has a lot of the guys that you need in the back end at least. And if Leonard Williams comes back, which I'm I'm of the opinion that he should, um. Like the, if if you want to point to a reason to think that they can get above the six win threshold, I think you look at Patrick Graham. For sure, for sure. I mean, there was a reason the Jets wanted to talk to him for their head coaching vacancy, and and why he'll probably be a head coach eventually. I don't. I think you and I are in agreement that you know he he's probably not ready right now. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's, um, you know, 41 years old, which is not not super young in terms of NFL coaches, but uh, only been a defensive coordinator for two years. Really, only had one year where he kind of lit it up. I mean, in Miami in 2019, they basically let him walk out the door. Not even basically. They let him walk out the door for a lateral job with yeah. the Giants. So, um, yeah, I think a, a big year next year. And then, you know, who knows? I mean, I know he got a contract extension, but um, they're not paying him NFL head coach money. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, so, um, so they sweeten the pot a little bit for Patrick Graham, and maybe they – and certainly they will give him more – more weapons. I think that the, the the debate on defense is um, Dalvin Tomlinson or Leonard Williams. I mean, they cannot keep both. So I would think they keep one. You have to balance the cap. Where do you fall on it? I mean, I, I think Leonard Williams would be the priority, right? But he's going to have interest. Yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, you try and sign him before. I just think, you know, I they obviously went through so much to get Leonard. I know there's, you know, he obviously was in a contract year and, you know, there's evidence that he's not this good of a pass rusher in terms of sacks, at least like in terms of finishing, like there's evidence of that from the previous four years or whatever. Um, but I don't think you should be in the habit of letting all pro caliber players leave. Like, right. Dalvin Tomlinson is a very good, nice player. Um, he's a really good run stopper. The locker, he's a great leader, but he's going to cost 12 to $14 million and he's a run stopping nose tackle. We're at, not, not necessarily that they grow on trees, but I don't know if those are the most valuable players in the modern NFL. Whereas Leonard Williams was actually graded as a better run stopper this year on top of having 11. He, his numbers uh, pass rush wise were like on par with everybody besides Aaron Donald, who is a, on another level. So um, I, I, I know it's going to cost a lot and it's, it's going to hurt them uh, in, in the salary cap space. They can get creative. If you make it a three or four year deal, you spread it out, backload it, whatever you got to do. Um, there's ways that, that's why Kevin Abrams is in the building um, to figure that out. But like, I, I just think he should be the priority if you're choosing between those two. I, like you said, I don't think it's, it's really, they, they should not be like spending that much on two defensive tackles that are whose primary, uh, you know, asset is as a run stopper. Um, but it, if I'm picking between, I, it's like $6 million more is what he's going to cost ultimately, which is a lot. But I, I just think he, you know, I mean, you, you've, he's a, he's a good guy. I think they really like him in the building. 
Um, Dave Gettleman invested a lot in bringing him here and took a lot of flack for it. And I think he's trying to take a victory lap now. And I think both Leonard Williams and the Giants know they're going to have to pay him more than he would get on the open market probably uh, just because of the situation. But he's the guy I would bring back. He, he was way better than I ever could have imagined he would be this year. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, he, he had a money-motivating him contract year. I'm sure he thought that about twenty about 2019 too, right? Contract year, but he got franchise yeah. tagged. Made a lot of money. Made a lot of money yeah. off a bad year in 2019. Yeah, half um, back and got $16 million. Yeah. yeah, and uh, but he does a lot of things well. Yeah. You know, he's not Aaron Donald. Yeah, you know, he does he, more things well than Tomlinson does. We were talking, I talked to him at the end of 2019, Leonard Williams, and we, we were talking about how much money he thought he deserved and what he thought was going to be his first – foray into free agency and he talked about you know he felt like he should be paid among all the elite defensive linemen in the nfl he said you know look i don't i'm not saying i'm aaron donald but i you know i'd like to think i'm right there in that kind of 1a tier well just paraphrasing what he said there at the end of last season in 2019 um and as it turned out they franchise tag him and uh, a lot of people were kind of what, what he said with his quotes were a little bit like up in arms because uh, he hadn't proven it, and he especially yeah. hadn't proven it in the most recent year, in 2019. So um, as it turns out, he comes out and, and improves all that a year later with, with some help from Patrick Graham, which, with some help from you know Sean Spencer, uh, the new defensive line coach with the Giants this year. And um, he's going to get a lot of money from somebody. I think the Giants should be that team. The bottom line is, you know, you do have to overpay in free agency, even if you're re-signing a guy. So I think eventually you look, people will look at this Leonard Williams contract and the results will probably not meet up with the money. But the bottom line is this, if they win, if they become a winner, no one, no one's, no one ever looks back at the contracts from the teams that won Super Bowls or made NFC championship games said, well, you know, that, that quite, it wasn't quite worth it. Wasn't quite, it's always worth it if you go deep, right. In the playoffs or if you win a Super Bowl. Always yeah, I mean, I, I think you can even look like the Eagles are paying Fletcher Cox like 17 mil a year. And as he gets older, that doesn't look as good of a contract. But you almost don't really hear about that because he was so good in his prime. And he's a big reason why they won the Super Bowl and, exactly. and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's ultimately if, if you're winning. Then, I mean, if they're winning, Leonard Williams is probably playing well anyway. But, yeah, like you said, it, maybe not 20 million a year well. But I don't know how many players are actually worth that much. Just, when you win that much, though, like you said with Cox, yeah. a great example. I mean, no one no yeah, one I mean, split hairs. If you're losing, I think it's important. It's important point, and I've heard people say something along these lines. When it comes, especially when it's a, someone not in your building, if you want to sign a good free agent, you have to overpay to get him. That's how you get a guy to play for you, because that's how you get him, you know, to come to you over somebody else. And sometimes it works out like gangbusters. Like James Bradbury is, looks like he's underpaid now, whereas at the time it probably looked like he was being overpaid, just because you know he was a good player. But I don't think anybody saw this. And now he's, you know, he has two years left on his deal and like thirty something million and. He's one of the five best corners in the NFL based on how he played this year. And then you have Golden Tate, who got paid like one of the 20 best receivers, and he's probably been one of the 20 worst receivers since he signed here. So, um, or Tremaine yeah, that's like, with cornerbacks, Tremaine Johnson with the Jets. <laughs> yeah, that was a brutal one. Yeah. Um, the last 20 years. So, I mean, Nate Solder got the big, richest contract of any offensive lineman. A lot of times it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, Brad but you, Ray, if, you, like, if, you, if you see a guy and you think he's good, in order to get him, you have to pay him. And that's why this receiver class is interesting because there's so many receivers that, you know, it, maybe you should go after an Allen Robinson, but you don't have to. Like, you can go after, you know, uh, Marvin Jones or something, and that, that guy would still be, 
you know, that's maybe that's not as exciting, but you get a guy like that and you draft somebody else and all of a sudden you have four good receivers instead of two average ones. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they play this out. Um, they have a lot of tough decisions to make and they have to make the right ones when they add players. They're going to add a lot of new players. I think the offense is going to look quite different. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll bring you guys some offseason podcasts as, as these things happen. Um, we, we can wrap it up there. Um, thanks for listening all season, guys. It was a weird year, obviously. Um, we didn't do any of these in person, which is the first time I went a whole year without doing a podcast in person, which is weird, uh, weird to say, but, uh, yeah, thanks for listening guys. Um, we'll get you back with one at some point soon, hopefully. And, uh, and subscribe to our tech service, uh, ng.com slash text. Uh, you get the first two weeks free. I'm going to be doing like a Q and a on there on Monday with our subscribers. Um, I highly recommend you guys come on. Uh, send us some questions and uh, yeah, leave us some reviews for this podcast and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And thanks again for listening.